Hey there, welcome into another Rockets edition of the H-Town Wheelhouse Show. I've got a special guest with me. I think you're going to enjoy it today. We're going to talk about Al Perrine, the all-star, Jalen Surge in this last game despite the loss, and what the Rockets need to do going forward to climb into the playoffs. Let's go right now. Beyond the wheelhouse, the world goes down like, wow. Hey there, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the H-Town Wheelhouse Show. I'm your host, as always, the H-Town Wheelhouse, and thank y'all for tuning in. You can find me at H-Town Wheelhouse on X, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find me at Athletically Declined. You can find us on Spotify. Download us right now. Go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I got a special guest with me. A local celebrity might have you. Roosh Williams, the the host of Rockets Watch and State of the Rockets podcast. Bruce Williams, thank you for joining the show. Tell everybody where they can find you and just everything you're up to with these podcasts. Yeah, man, thank, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. You can find me on Twitter at Roosh Williams, R-O-O-S-H Williams, Roosh, like swoosh with an R. Um, and then we host Rockets Watch, which is, um, if you go to my Twitter profile, you can you can see um, – the link and join that it's basically we live stream rockets games so you can join and watch Ro- rockets games with a bunch of other rockets fans um and kind of kind of enjoy that experience and i host them as well as clutch fans if you're familiar with clutch fans um and then the state of the rockets podcast that i host with uh, jackson gatlin from time to time so yeah excited to talk some rockets yeah that's awesome jackson is a good friend of mine you know over there at locked on rockets i had him on recently i mean i think even know cody davis um i i've had him on so i kind of got this whole like Local media guys, you know, um, you guys are right here in my wheelhouse. No pun intended there. But the Rockets have been so fun to watch this year, Roosh. This team, I mean, and it really started out to where if they were at home, it was a guaranteed win. If they were on the road, it was a guaranteed loss. Then they go on the road the last three games. They've they've won two of their last three, I believe, on the road. But they've lost their last two at home. And so they're so they're starting to struggle at home. You know, the Dunkstronaut uniforms may be wearing off the, with the newness and the mystique. But what do you see or what have you seen these last couple home games? Because it seemed like to me, maybe not against the Suns, but the game before, the very winnable game against the Pacers. And they just kind of let things slip through their hands. What have you seen about their struggles at home that we weren't seeing early, early on in the season? Yeah, I mean, I think right now it's – I don't know if it's as much of a matter of home versus road, although they have been a poor road team. Uh, I think they're just getting tired, quite frankly, um, and I think that they've run into some bad matchups, right? So they have had difficulty against teams that have guards who get downhill in the pick and roll who can also shoot, right? Uh, they got they got carved up by Damian Lillard, um, Donovan Mitchell, and Trey Young in that three-game kind of stretch against the Eastern Conference teams. Two of those were on the road. One of those was at home. Um, and then you saw it against the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton, right, um, carved them up as well. They just seem to have issues with teams that have guards that get downhill, use the pick and roll, can throw the lob over the top, can step back and hit a three. And then 
in addition to all that, they, they have guys who relocate, they, they set a screen, cut, move, relocate, and you're just seeing wide open threes all over the, all over the place. So they've had some issues with that. And I think that feeds directly into fatigue. You know, they're riding Fred Van Vliet heavy. I don't know where he's at right now, but as of about a week ago, he was leading the league in minutes per game uh, at 39, which is ridiculous. Uh, Alperin Shangun is playing the most minutes he's played in his career ever. Um, and you start, and they don't really have an adequate backup for him. Um, and then, you know, we can talk about the other stuff, but Jalen Green's kind of not filling in the role that he's supposed to fill in. And then after that, the depth is just kind of not there. You're, you're getting a lot of minutes from guys like Aaron Holiday. Uh, Jeff Green at age 37 is having to step up. Hmm. Too much Jay Sean Tate. So it, it, it's kind of all those rolled into one. So basically what we're looking at is a classic, almost what you hear at the AAU or or league level, you know, you'll see teams that are heads above the other teams they play. And a lot of times those are the teams that are better conditioned. And you don't think about those things when you're watching the NBA. Because why? I mean, it's the NBA, right? They're pros. Um, I hear it all the time when I talk about baseball or football. How can you drop that pass? How can you miss that catch? You know, the things that you and I as as pedestrian watchers and non-professionals are, are heavily critical of, we forget these guys are 100% human. And like you say, um, Shingun is young. He is, I mean, but he's being battle tested too, like nobody else on this team. Because night in and night out, you want to talk about fatigue, put you up against the strongest guys in the league, the bigs, because you've kind of seen a resurgence of the big man, and they're all these foreign-born players. And he's banging against those guys every single night. And I didn't even think about the 39 minutes for Van Vliet. I mean, that right there is huge. And so – what we're seeing is, like you said, a lack of depth um, in that. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, but what what difference does MA make with the team and how does he move it forward? Is it just they got to do more conditioning in between the games? They're not playing. They've got to rest when they need to. Re- you know what I'm saying? Like, how does he as a coach overcome those struggles? Because you've still got most of the season left. So no one's going to no one's going to take a rest on you. No one's going to take it easy and say, oh, you're tired. Like they're going to keep hard charging for you. How do they make those adjustments at this point? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. I mean, and another thing, by the way, to add to Shangun, he's playing the most minutes of his career. He's also the, the best player on the team, right? So he's seeing double teams. He's seeing triple teams. Like you said, um, you know, he's going against super physical guys night in and night out. Last night against the Suns, for example, Frank Vogel, head coach of the Suns, made an adjustment by putting Udoka Azubuki in the game, who's a big, like, Dude is built like a tank, right? Seven feet. I don't know how much he weighs, but he's he's a big boy. Um, and so Shangun is taking on that dude, Nurkic, you know, by himself, basically. So after last night, um, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Udoka pulled the starters in the fourth, and Van Vliet's minutes are now down to 37.7 per game um, from 39. So it's technically 38. Uh, but to, to your question of what do they do, I don't know. Um, I think it's a matter of depth. I just don't think they have the depth, right? I mean, Tari Eason's been hurt on and off. He's, he's still dealing with like an ailing leg injury. So they've tried to limit his minutes, but they also haven't because they can't really afford to because he's one of their best players, right? He, but he's only playing 21 and a half minutes. Um, in an ideal world, Tari Eason's playing 25 to 30 minutes a night at least. Um, and then Thompson has been hurt for most of the season. He's just now starting to play. And developmentally, he's behind, right? He's not he, – I, th- I think he's a project personally. Um, so he's not at a level where he's contributing to winning necessarily. Um, and he's been hurt. So that's another depth piece that's just been taken off the table. Jock Landale was signed in the offseason to be the backup center. Jock Landale has looked very bad and unplayable. And, and he has. 
Yeah, right. And you've seen that, right? He's not playing. Uh, he's not playing very often. He's only, he's only showed up in 18 games this season and he's played 9.1 minutes per game. Right. Um, for some reason, I, what I think what I would do now, you gotta, you gotta keep in mind, Dylan Brooks just got hurt with an oblique strain and Jabari Smith got hurt last night. They're saying it's an ankle. Injury that. So we'll see what that is. If those two dudes are out for any extended stretch of time, uh, it's going to be trouble. The Rockets are going to, are going to start losing games for sure. They are not built to withstand losing two starters um, and they're two of their best defensive players. Um, and they're, they're two of their top five, three point shooters on the team by percentage. Right. So both of them play Dylan plays 31 minutes a night. Tari play, uh, D- sorry, Dylan plays 31 minutes a night. Jabari plays 30.5 minutes per night. So you lose those two guys. Like, what do you do? Right. But I would do personally is, and last night in place of Dylan Brooks starting, he was out. So Udoka started Jay Sean Tate instead. I would go with Reggie Bullock. Reggie Bullock has not played much. A lot of fans have right. kind of heard on Reggie Bullock, which I don't understand personally. Um, you know, he's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he shoots threes. He plays defense. He's not going to do much else, but he does that. And he's proven that he does that for the pretty much the entirety of his career. He's 32 years old, basically shoots 38% from three, no matter where he goes. Started out slow in Houston. He's up to 35% um, from three on the season. Very limited number of, of attempts, though. But I think you've got to get a guy in there who spaces the floor, Someone that, you know, when Van Vliet's running around, when Shengu gets double teamed, you have confidence in saying, hey, that guy's open. I'm going to give him the ball because he can catch and shoot and make threes. So I would play Reggie Bullock more. You got to ride Tari Eason if he's able. I don't know if he's able because of his injury, but if he is, you got to ride Tari Eason. Um, and then I'm going to start, if it's if it's up to me, I start getting Cam Whitmore in the rotation. Um, yes. He's young. He's got a long way to go still, but he, he can shoot. He's physically Physically, he's an NBA player already, right? Weight room style, he's ready to go. Um, you just got to give him playing time to kind of get some of his uh, tunnel vision kind of out, uh, some of those kinks out, right? But yeah, I think Reggie Bullock and Cam Whitmore have to play more, and you have to hope that Amen Thompson can contribute. But what they need to do with Amen Thompson, they're playing him as a point guard on the ball. They got to play him as a wing. Mm. He's not ready to play point guard right now. They got to use his athleticism off the ball, cutting, crashing the boards, cutting, catching, finishing. Um, yeah. So I think that's the long answer. No, and and that's great because in and that's why we bring you know people like yourself, people like Jackson on, just because you guys under you guys have a deeper understanding um, of the game of basketball as a whole. And I want to I want to touch on a, a couple guys. Um, one thing that I've noticed about Kim Whitmore is this kid is athletic. He is fast. I mean, he can literally get the ball and just all of a sudden he's dunking the basketball. Like he blows past the defense so quickly, you know, and he's raw. I think raw is probably a good word for him, but Kim Whitmore just has done phenomenal. I mean, Aaron holiday has been playing a ton of minutes. We were at the game the other day when Aaron holiday had, um, he had like, you know, I I think he was like six for six at one point. We were wondering if he wasn't going to miss a shot at all that night. That would, that was great to see, Um, you know, you mentioned Jeff Green. Yeah, I mean, he's older. You don't need him getting too many minutes. But, gosh, if they could get Bullock and Whitmore to be contributors to help take away some of the sting, maybe they do stand a chance. Because, you know, one of the things I have noticed, and I even noticed this last year when they were when they were not good at all, is they would win the first three quarters of a basketball game against the best teams in the NBA. And then they would just fall off a cliff in the fourth quarter. And, and so – um, do you see someone like Jay Sean Tate 
or even Tyree. I'm sorry, not Jay Sean Tate. Do you see Tyree Eason ever becoming someone who moves into a starting role, if not with the Rockets, somewhere else? I mean, to me, Tyree Eason, this kid is like he is every bit of a scrappy NBA player, but not just a scrappy, but a really good NBA player. I mean, does he hold a future in the starting rotation here, or will that have to be somewhere else down the road and they get a value piece for him if they don't want to keep him apart and they want to go bigger? I think I think you got to eventually imagine he's a starter here. Uh, I mean, that, yeah. the Rockets win the minutes that he plays most of the time, right? He just does so many little things. He makes mistakes too. Sometimes he's tunnel visioned. Sometimes he hijacks a possession and kind of just goes without really, you know, without knowing where he's trying to end up, puts his head down and just goes. You saw that happen last night. Um, but more yes. often than not, he, he makes things happen when he does that. His hands are huge. His wingspan is about 7'2". Um, wow. he, he really bothers people defensively. And if you watched last night, you saw he ripped Devin Booker a couple times in the backcourt. His contests on Kevin Durant made a difference. When Tari Eason contests a shot, usually the player misses it, right? Um, he's just high energy. He racks up stats in, in a heartbeat. You know, um, his shooting has been decent. I don't know where he's at on the season. Let me just actually take one quick look. Tari Eason, three points. 38.6% from three on the season. I don't expect okay. that to sustain. He'll probably dip down a little bit, but I think he finished last season right under 35%. All you need from Tari Eason is about 35, 36% from three. Personally, I would, I would if the team was healthy, I would start him in Jalen Green's spot and see if, mm. you can't, if you can't get something out of that. He's not a shooting guard, and I know Jalen Green's a shooting guard, so a lot of people would probably disagree with, with what I'm saying, but um, he just makes you that much better defensively. He spreads the floor better than Jalen Green at this point in their careers. And um, he crashes the glass and makes things happen. Oh, he does. It's unreal. I mean, his his effort, you know, it, I mean, if you could if you can remember, you know, harken back to the 90s with me with with the with the Rockets teams, the 94 and the 95 team, that team, of course, it had Akeem, it had it had Kenny Smith, it had those guys, but they had scrappy guys off the bench. They had Otis Thorpe's. They I mean. Mary the Valley. Rockets championship teams were the role players complementing just as much as the star players. And I mean, obviously those teams had amazing depth and that's why they won those back-to-back titles, but, you know, and, and, and kind of bridging back to this team from Akeem Olajuwon to Alperin Shingun, Alperin's really done a lot of work in the lab with Akeem Olajuwon and it's evidence in the style of play. I love his spin move where he it's almost like he leaves the ball on the floor, turns and then picks the ball back up. You've seen that slow dribble because I was watching the game the other day, Roosh, and I was like, wait, did he did he lose the ball and then get it? And I was like, no, that was he did that on purpose. He has this amazing, you know, he he does a little almost like a mini like shake and bake kind of thing like old, um, you know, Akeem Olajuwon did. And then. He drops the ball. It looks like he's losing it. And as he's spinning, the ball is almost like suspended in the air. He just, the way he gets to the basket, the rebounds, the absolute plumbling he takes under the basket. And I notice he doesn't get foul calls either. Like the NBA lets them hack the hell out of this guy. And he doesn't, he's just like, what, what's going on, right? Um, Alpreen, is this guy an all-star this year? Is he going to get voted into the All-Star game? I don't think so. Uh, just just logistically, there's probably about 15 guys you could pick ahead of him if you go down the list. Um, okay. 
and, and then when you when you factor in how it's actually decided, so the fan vote picks those first five or some some combination of the fan vote and some other stuff. He's not going to be one of the starters, um, which you know I don't think that's a surprise to anyone, right? So then it comes down to the coaches pick. Uh, there's only 12 spots. If there was 15 spots, he might make it. But the coaches pick those remaining spots. Um, he could make it. It's gonna. I think it's gonna require a couple. It's gonna require two things. One, or maybe one of two things. Uh, one, the Rockets would have to be like a top five seed, maybe top six seed, right? Right now they're yeah. like eighth or ninth. Um, so they're they're gonna have to be like well in the playoff race to boost his his profile, his All Star profile. Or yeah. uh, a couple guys are just gonna have to be hurt and then withdraw from the from the weekend, which we've seen before, right? right. So he, he right. could maybe maybe be a reserve. I could see him being a reserve, um, but. He's playing like an all-star. I mean, offensively, he's got counters upon counters. He can spin you to the right. He can spin you to the left. He can finish with the right and the left. He's added that little yeah. fadeaway, the little dirk shot off one foot. Yeah. He's making shots from the mid-range. Um, he's going to the free throw line, I think, a career high. Uh, let's see, a career high 5.1 times per game. Wow. In the month of December, he's going six times a game. Got his percentages back up from the free throw line to the low 70s. So, he is a threat from everywhere on the floor, just about not quite yet from three. Um, and that's really the last piece of his offensive game that he's got to get together. But defensively, the improvement he's shown, the Rockets, I think, have the fourth best defense as of today wow. in the NBA. And a lot of people, including the Rockets themselves, by the way, were skeptical as to whether Alperin Shangun as the starting center on a team could lead a top defense. Right. The Rockets tried to sign Brooke Lopez for that specific reason. Um Good thing that he backed out on them and, and you know, Shenzhen is starting, right? So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think he's on path and on track to be an all-star, no question. Um, and quite frankly, fans and the organization should be thankful for Alperin Shengu because if, it, if if he was not breaking out in this way, um, you know, in a rebuild, you, you need – in the NBA in a rebuild, you need one. You need one guy to hit, and then everything else can fall into place. Without him hitting, currently the Rockets would not have one of those guys hitting, and, and you'd be looking at four picks in the 2021 draft, all of whom – uh, have not met their expectations. So, so with him doing this, it's giving the Rockets a lot of hope for the future. And you know, I absolutely love. I love his tenacity. I love the way he plays. Love his attitude. His, you know, heard him even say, you know, I I told Coach I wanted him to yell at me more and cuss at me more because when I was in Turkey, um, that's that's how that's how they that's how my coaches mm -hmm. did, and and that's what motivated me. And I'm kind of noticing a theme here, too, with a lot of these European or these foreign-born players. The coaching they receive overseas is a lot more militant and a lot tougher than the guys here. And it makes you wonder, is that why some of these guys, the Jokic, um, you know, I mean, all these guys, Luka, um, Giannis, it, it makes you wonder, are, are these guys benefiting from this? Because you, you come over here and we kind of have this, you know, you, you get your great star player and he kind of gets to pick where he wants to play AAU wise. And then they're kind of treated and held up on this pedestal as to where someone like Al Prins, like, no, you're not, you're not good enough. You got to get better. And I just, I love his work ethic. And another thing I like about him, see, I noticed the details. I love when he interviews because whenever Vanessa has him on there and she's talking to him, he doesn't always connect the right words in the sentences, but he does not ever back down from questions. And he is working so hard on his English. I just, that to me shows a lot more about his character than anything else. I just, to me, he's become my favorite rocket. I mean, he, he's my favorite Houston rocket since Hakeem Olajuwon. And I just, 
I, I just think he's a good player for 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 young basketball players to look up to as well. Yeah, I mean, look, <clears throat> he when he came here, he barely spoke a lick of English, and now he can, you know, he doesn't need his interpreter or translator anymore, which is awesome. It, it, again, it shows like kind of the, the kid that he is, right? The person that he yeah. is. He's he wants to learn. He wants to get better. He doesn't back down. The Rockets at this point have uh, quite a long little history of foreign-born centers, right? Elijah Wan, Yao Ming, and now. Um, yeah. Alfred Shangun. So that's pretty cool as well. Uh, but look, you know, he has gotten so much better since he came here. And kind of to your point, right? It, it's weird. Back in the 90s, early 2000s, the foreign born players were all thought of as like soft, right? All those guys are soft, soft European. And it's kind of totally flipped, um, which is yeah. crazy to see, right? The Europeans are now the guys that are like the hard asses, right? Giannis. Yeah. Luka, Jokic, Shingun. I mean, these guys don't – Joel. well, maybe not Joel Embiid. He flops a lot, but you, you get the idea. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like, all right, uh, I don't know how that happened. I think that – and this is a totally separate discussion, but just a quick point on it. I think AAU basketball has destroyed the fabric uh, of what basketball was in this country. And I know that might be like, oh, okay, let's not take it there. But, but AAU basketball has really synthesized the game. It's like fast food basketball. You show up, you're mm. playing eight games a day. It's all flash. It's all stats. It's all like, look at this step back, look at this cross, blah, blah, blah. But these Euro kids are growing up learning the fundamentals, right? They, they are growing up learning how to read the court, how to pass. That's why they're so skilled. They're not just focused on, oh, look at this cool crossover. Sweet, right? They're like, hey, I'm going to back you down. I'm going to draw a double team. When I draw the double team, I'm kicking it to the corner and I'm expecting the ball to skip around and then I'll be there to set a screen and then I'm going to roll. They just play the game the right way. And it's crazy to see 30 years later how it's all kind of changed. But for those who don't know, Shingun was the MVP of the Turkish Basketball League at age 18. Wow. And the Turkish Basketball League is, is widely thought of as a top five professional league in the world, if not maybe top three. Um, so that's where he comes from, you know. And and you'll see, you'll hear Luka, you'll hear Giannis, Jokic, Shingun. You hear these guys talk about how scoring in the NBA is much easier than overseas. Um, so anyways, just a little rant there. But I'd like to see the NBA get back oh, to being yeah physically dominant and kind of the gold standard instead of the other way around. Well, you know, and even, even to that point, I've, I've got a good friend of mine who is a basketball coach at a large high school in central Texas. And I remember um, years ago, he told me, I told my kids, if you want to learn basketball and you want to watch someone play basketball and learn, don't watch the NBA, watch NCAA women's basketball because okay. they play below the rim. And when you have a game that's below the rim, you have to rely on fundamentals because the game in the NBA is played above the rim. And you don't, I mean, Giannis can literally get up the court in one dribble and dunk, right? You don't, how do you coach that? How do you coach, you can't coach that better, right? But you've got a 5'4 or even a 5'8 female player who's going down the court. She's got to be able to change directions. She's got to be able to speed up, slow down. She's got to not only see the basket, but, but see the outlet pass. And, you know, me as 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 an experienced girls coach myself with girls basketball, when, you know, fundamentals is key because a lot of times I'll get girls that are in the seventh grade and they are raw. They've never played basketball before. So what do we have to learn? Fundamentals. And I tell young players all the time, y'all, y'all are so worried about Instagram. Like you're so worried about watching Cooper flag on Instagram and you see all the results, but you don't see the work that goes into making of these players. It's not about the dunks. It's not about the highlight reels. It's really what you do before that. 
a great quote I saw today. It said, why do you practice soft and expect to play hard? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Because remember, remember the old line from AI? Practice, we're talking about practice here. And then you look at the model of mentality of Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan. I mean, those guys changed, you know, Michael Jordan changed that USA basketball team. USA basketball is on the downside. Kobe Bryant comes in and wakes them up. Instead of winning bronze, they're winning golds because mm-hmm. of that mindset. And I think that's huge with, especially with Al Preen. And I think he can be, and is really, I think the centerpiece of this team. Well, to your point, to segue to the next bullet point. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. The game is played above the rim in the NBA. And I think a lot of people rely on that. And I think Jalen green is a great example of someone who has relied on his, you know, elite athletic ability to succeed so far in his career. And I think he's realizing, unfortunately, so far at the NBA level that it's not enough to carry him. The skills have to be filled in. The polish has to be there. Um, he really, he very much has struck me as a player who just blew by everyone in AAU and high school, uh, mm-hmm. even the G League, and just dunked on him and was like, okay, awesome. I'm, you know, I'm a star. And he was, rightfully so. But now you're at the NBA level and skill is what separates you. You can't just be an athlete. We've seen a ton you know, everyone in the NBA, not everyone, but a lot of players in the NBA are phenomenal athletes, elite oh, yeah. style athletes. Right. But if you never put that polish together, the skill, the ability to make a jump shot efficiently, which is his biggest weakness at this moment, um, then, then none of it matters. Right. Because, I mean, he could dunk on anyone. Uh, but at this point, he's running into NBA style bigs. He's not necessarily getting the calls at the at the uh, at the rim. And you're starting to see, OK, well, when that's taken away, what else can he do? Uh, he has one speed drive straight to the rim as fast as he can. That's not going to get it done. you got to be able to change direction. You have to be able to decelerate. Right. Um, his handle, eh, it's okay. Doesn't really have a left hand. Doesn't really do anything spectacular with the ball. His passing, um, people compare him to Devin Booker and Anthony Edwards. Those guys make a skip pass to the corner from the elbow, right? They understand when they've made a dribble, drawn an extra defender over, and they have the vision to see cross-court, weak side, let me hit that pass. Jalen Green right. has one pass in his, in his wheelhouse right now, no pun intended, one. And it's the bounce pass. Uh, it's, a, it's a bounce pass, yeah. pick and roll. And that's great, but it, it's he's just kind of a one-dimensional guy, even in the one dimension of offense. Wow. Um, and that's what's scary, right? I mean, he, I, I say this all the time. He's a jump shooter who can't really make a jump shot. And that's the biggest issue. I mean, you look at his numbers across the board. He's shooting career lows um, from pretty much everywhere on the court, right? I mean, his two-point percentage is, is, to me, the most glaring. 44.1% from two which wow. is down from 47.1% last year, which is down from 50.2% as a rookie. He's gotten worse every season. Three point, he's shooting 33.1% from the three-point line on six attempts per game. That's not going to cut it. His true wow. shooting percentage, TS percentage, which is a, a number that measures your efficiency, 52.2%, well below league average. League average for his position, I think, is somewhere around 55 to 56%. So mm. it, it's just not cutting it. And then you're not getting – the efficiency is not there, right? He was billed to be a star scorer. He's not doing that, and he's not doing it efficiently, and he frankly has not efficiently done it at any point throughout his career um, in the NBA. And then in addition to that, he's not great at defense. So the question about earlier, hey, what's going on with the Rockets? I mean, he's getting mixed up on a lot of these coverages, right? Guards get downhill, a couple screens get set off the ball. He's in no man's land. Yeah, you can you can throw him off. I mean, if you've got good off-ball movement, you're going to – Jalen Green, just he, he just for whatever reason cannot keep up. I mean – you know, last night he had the limited minutes. He had 26 minutes, but he had 23 points. It was that's an efficient game. That's the kind of game. So, so with that being said, before we get to our 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 final final topic, 
is someone, I mean, does M.A. Udoka at some point put Tate in there and put bring, bring Green off the bench? I know that he was just asked recently. I believe it was Jackson that asked him um, whether Jalen Green was going to end up being, you know, coming off the bench. or Maybe it was Big Sarge. Someone said it. Will they ever bench him as a starter to maybe send a message to maybe help him? Or do you think M.A. is afraid of what that will do to him mentally? I don't think anyone's afraid. Uh, Ime did say that they're not going to bench him. To your question, will they ever bench him? I think they're going to have to at some point if this continues. Um, It's not quite this dramatic, but it is somewhat comparable to benching a quarterback, right? Um, Uh, Okay. You got to kind of be delicate with that decision because once you do it, you can't go back from that, right? Everyone is looking around. And and, and I get it. Quarterback is like the premier position. Shooting guard's not quite the same. So it's not quite the same. But – once you do it, everyone on the team is like, oh, damn, you got benched, you know? And then even when you get back, even if you get put back in the starting lineup, your confidence mm-hmm. is shaken. Everyone's kind of looking around knowing, like, hey, that's not necessarily your your starting spot. You know, you could lose that on wow. any given night. Um, so there is – and he's the number two overall pick, right? So once you do that and, and the headline becomes number two overall pick benched, and then if the Rockets start winning games and playing better, you know, it, there's just all these domino effects. Um, that being said – I do think they'll eventually be better if they find – they'll be better in two scenarios, one of two scenarios. One, Jalen Green starts playing better and turns it around. He could, he could still right. do that. He's not done. It's possible. Two, they find a better solution. And Cam Whitmore sitting right there. Um, yeah. And he can shoot, and he's physical. He, he kind of does the things even, – even though he's raw, he does the things that Jalen can't. Um, yeah, so. he, he seems to have a more complete game, I think is yeah. what you're trying to say, versus – Jalen Green, and that's hard because, you know, it's interesting you say that because I went back, I hadn't really concentrated on what kind of got Jalen Green to where he was today, and I was watching his high school reels, and I was just, I was like, oh my God, this guy was, he was the alpha, like nobody matched him, and he's being matched, and not only matched, but he's being overmatched at times, and like you said, I don't think he's done. Everybody's, you know, there's a lot of people writing him off. I, I'm not I'm not writing this kid off. Look, he's young. If anyone can turn it around, it's definitely M.A. It obviously wasn't Silas. He, he wasn't the answer. We know he was a stopgap. But I think M.A. can get him going. And he's just, he, he's got to work on that mentality too. So with that in mind, with the, with kind of the Rockets not having the depth they have, what are their next steps this season? Are they going to go out and get somebody else? Are they going to go try to make, are they going to make a trade? Is there anything on the cusp for the Rockets this year to make them better, to push them in a better spot playoff wise? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, final point on Jalen green. It's kind of like Maldonado and the Astros this last season, the pitchers were like, Hey, we need Maldonado. So you, you make them comfortable. You go out of your way to hurt the lineup to make them comfortable and then obviously Maldonado's defensive stats really weren't any good, right? And the, the, no. you know there was no evidence that Maldonado made anyone better last season, unfortunately. Right. Um, and with Jalen Green, in order to get him going, you have to give him shots like you did last night, right? But it doesn't result in winning basketball. So it's like you're catering to this one specific need to get this one guy going, and it's actually kind of hurting the whole team. Mm. And that's, that's kind of how I frame it. Um, trades. You know, the Rockets are focused on getting data, basically, right? Like, okay, what is this season? What do we need to do to make the decisions for the future? And that's one reason that I think they'll be patient with Jalen Green. That's my understanding with conversations that I've had. 
Um, again, it's fluid. Things could change if he just like falls off a cliff, but that's kind of their, their focus, right? Um, I don't expect them to make a blockbuster this summer. I mean, this, this trade deadline, I would hope that they, that they look for, you know, backup type pieces. Like I said, they need a backup center. They need a backup point guard. Uh, I think those are the two kind of main things. And if they can add shooting at one of those positions, knocking two birds out with one stone, then so be it. But right now, Fred Van Vliet is overworked and you're seeing it, right? They, like when he's off the court, there's no one who can run the offense. And so he may have yeah. no choice, but to overly rely on him. And then Shangun has no one behind him that can really help. Jeff Green's done it at times, but I think it's a little foolish to overly rely on 37-year-old Jeff Green, who's six eight, by the way. He's not actually a center. He can do it, but he's right. not actually the center, right? So the Rockets need some type of Clint Capella type player, right? Six ten, six eleven, block shots, catch lob dunks, and just play that role. So that's that's how they could get better. Um, but again, they also have internal options. Cam Whitmore and Reggie Bullock. There's two guys that both shoot. True. Both can D up that aren't being utilized. And, and we'll see if, you know, if everyone's healthy and you fit those guys into the rotation, we'll see if it turns things around. Yeah, no, you know, and I like that. And especially if you're playing the long game here as the Rockets, you don't really need to, I mean, to make a blockbuster trade, you have to give up assets. And if you give up assets, you're you're disrupting the, the chemistry, what limited chemistry you have, um, as you addressed earlier with the lack of depth. But I think regardless of what we get out of this Rocket season, whether they make a play-in game, whether they make the playoffs or not, this team is far better than last year, like I mentioned in the in the beginning of the show. Um, clearly, coaching is really the name of the game here. I, I mean, in Houston, I think we have the best three-headed monster of any sports city in Udoka, you know, D'Amico Ryans and Joe Espada. It, it just seems like we've got the right guys running these teams. And that's what you need in our world and our society because you got big egos, you've got selfish players, and it's all about how do you create a culture? Because um, one of my friends at AD, we were sitting there talking about, you know, just like how do we make us stronger? How do we how do we grow things? And I shared a quote from Gary V with him, and I said, Gary V was like, Look, if you've got like five dudes and they're all like hard charging, but you got like three dudes and they're just kind of there for the ride. They don't have the same vision. You, you've got to get everybody to have the same vision. Everybody doesn't have to necessarily have to do the exact same thing, but if you have the same drive and the same vision, then you absolutely can go full steam ahead and you can crush your competition. And I think as long as the Rockets are led by the right person and MA Udoka and Raphael Stone continues to maybe allow them to have assets when the trades do come up and things like that. I think we're going to see a lot more success out of this team than not. So to wrap things up, do you, Roos Williams, are you buying or selling the Rockets making it into the playoffs this year, whether it's playing game or in the playoffs? So those are separate things. Are you asking, are they, okay. will they be a top six playoff team or a top 10 play-in team? Okay, let's just do this. Top 10 playoff team, because I think it's way too early to say top six. I mean, obviously. But do you do you think they have it? Are you buying or selling them being a top ten team? So I'm buying them being a top ten team with the understanding that it's going to be a tight race. Um, they're currently eighth. The Warriors are right there, a half game behind them in eleventh. And then you got to watch out for Memphis because John Morant is back, and they've yes. won four games in a row, um, and they are coming. So I think I think the Rockets can absolutely be top ten. Um, 
it's just a matter of, you know, do the Warriors turn it around? And how how hard does Memphis charge back? They're currently nine games under 500. They're 10 and 19. The Rockets are 15 and 14, five games ahead of Memphis. But injuries and one losing streak for the Rockets and the Grizzlies stay hot and that could change in two weeks, you know? So, but I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy them as a play-in team. Ime Udoka has never missed the playoffs as a head coach, um, or sorry, okay. as, a, as a coach, but both assistant and head coach. Um, and I know that he wants to make the playoffs. So I, I feel like they'll accomplish that. Awesome. Well, hey, you know, Roos, thank you so much for, um, you know, for hanging out. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. I, I, I appreciate it. You know, um, I'd like to think I understand the game of basketball, but it's it's definitely not my quote unquote wheelhouse. But I am I'm learning more and more. And I, and I learn so much when I have someone like yourself on. Tell everybody one more time before we leave um, where they can find you so they can check you out um, outside of the show. Yeah. Hey, like I said, thanks for having me, man. Always, always glad to come on. Um, love talking Rockets a little too much. But um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Roosh Williams, R-O-O-S-H Williams. And then um, all the links to what I do are in there, whether it be to Rockets Watch or State of the Rockets. But mostly you will find me on Twitter. Um, so if you uh, you know have any questions or want me to come on a podcast or something, let me know. Definitely. Thank you so much, Roosh. Um, you know, I do appreciate it. I appreciate everyone um, stopping by and watching the show. This has been a great show. It's been a great HML House show. Bruce, check him out. I mean, good stuff. And I'm sure if you see him at the Toyota Center, he'll probably say hi to you. Say so, what's up. Always you know, Definitely, man. Next, next, next time I'm at a game, I'll have to hit you up, man. We'll have to get together. So thank you for myself, H-Town Wellhouse and AD Sports. Make sure you check us out on Spotify. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit that like button. And no matter what's going on, you remember that this is H-Town, the best city on the planet. Y'all have a good one. Go Rockets. Rockets.